I was going to say welcome back to the TV campfire, but we've kind of been doing the TV campfire for about six weeks. So this is welcome back to ATX festival programming panels and screening Q&As that we are releasing from season eight that just ended a mere week and a half ago as we are recording this. We thought about what we could launch the programming with and we have heard from a lot of people what they what they want don't worry it's all coming <laughs> reunions panels today we got a request for better with age which oh, i also thought was great excellent all the syndication project panels will be coming but i thought we thought it would be great to start with the power of female partnerships felt like a good transition from inside atx into festival programming yes agreed it also was if not the first, practically the first panel we did of the festival. Well, we were the first panel well, of the festival. Um, yes. TV. Welcome to TV Camp was the first. It's <laughs> Fan not favorite. Gonna, it's not going to be released as a podcast, you guys. Had to so, be there. Had to be there. Um, but just, don't worry. We'll do it again next year. Yeah. I was going to say, uh, just incentive to come to ATX Season 9. June 4th through 7th, 2020. That sounds weird to say 2020. I know, I know. I like it. Well, I know. I think it's because you hear 2020 so much talking about the election. Yeah, yeah. I don't like like that. Yeah, exactly. That's true. But, like, it's so ingrained, like, 2020 is going to be this Mm -hmm. huge year. So the fact that we're already talking about 2020 is very strange. It is. Um, But in terms of the first program panel to release, The Power of Female Partnerships presented by Vanity Fair and moderated by Sonia Soraya. Uh, felt like a good start. So maybe we talk about how that came to be a little bit. Yes. Well, it started with an email from Lauren Whitney. Previously of Miramax, now at Spyglass. Yes. Talking about her dear friend, Corey Wellens, Mm -hmm. who is an agent at WME. WME. They were agents together at WME, like, in the beginning. Yes. Of life. So, like, started up the ranks together and how they've worked together over the years and just about having a panel, she would like to have a panel on female partnerships and what that relationship has been like and really just having more than, I feel like more than working together, the support system that you have between people that you've worked through the ranks with. Yeah, I was going to say, it ended up being, I think, a little bit of a mix of those two things. But one of the things that was really interesting about it was the partnerships, which made it hard to put people on a panel for, because it's a partnership you wouldn't know about. Yeah. It's not that they were writing partners or, you know, co-founders or co-anything like that. It was the sort of network of friendship relationships that you create when you start out in any business, but in this case, in TV, and how you support one another even when you go separate directions. So, like, when Lauren left WME, her and Corey still remained friends and support systems and partners in that friendship. And, you know, 20 years later are still doing that even if they don't work at the same company or work on the same project. But the other two partners we ended up doing were Tracy Pacosta and Lisa Katz, who are co-presidents of NBC. They used to be heads of drama and heads of comedy. And then when Jennifer Salke left to go to Amazon, they got the co-president title, which I also thought was really interesting. I think they've also been friends with Lauren and Corey for 20 years. So there was a foursome there. And then we really wanted a creative partnership with it. And so when you have the co-presidents of NBC, you'd be crazy not to do some talent and creative from NBC. And so they pitched us, Jenna Bands, the creator of Good Girls and Retta. And I think it was 0. 0.7 seconds. We we're like, yes, <laughs> yes. I, don't, I think it was yes. not even 0. 0.7 seconds. I think it was literally reading the word Retta and us mm-hmm. saying yes. Yeah. Uh, however long it took to get that email out. Um, so it was a really interesting pairing of six women uh, talking about careers and personal relationships and how how you do what you do and how you support one another. And I have not heard it yet, and so I'm very excited that this podcast is coming out. Same. But I heard about it for four days mm-hmm. in a way that is, is kind of a rarity to have a panel happen at, I think it was like 2 o'clock on Thursday, and literally people leaving on Sunday at 4 o'clock. When I said, well, what did you see? What was your favorite things? Were telling me this panel. I think that speaks volumes to whatever happened in that room. <laughs> <laughs> My... Uh, Favorite part of what I do know about the panel Mm -hmm. is uh, as they were walking out of the green room to go to the ballroom and get on stage, Retta had a drink in her hand, Mm -hmm. and they all go out there, and you introed it, and 
within minutes Moments. later, <laughs> this these people, not the panelists, these people come, the industry team come rushing back into the green room and there's a bit of a scramble. And I'm like, what's happening? What's happening? And it's a, Retta has a drink and now all the rest of them want drinks. Yeah. And so they all took drinks back out to the rest of the panel. And I was like, that is an ATX panel. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. That is a, you know, we're all getting into it. We're going to have this great conversation. And yes, there should be drinks. Yeah. I think that what I heard was they sat down and there was literally like the other women looking around going, wait a second, how did she, can I, what, is there available <laughs> a, and our <laughs> green room team was like, we're now bartenders. <laughs> they just like rushed back out. I think there was talk of bringing them a second round, which was probably a good idea that I don't think that happened. <laughs> you know, there's drinks and then there's drinks. Yes, yes. <laughs> but um, the Tracy and Lisa were only there. And I guess Corey and Lauren, like they were all of them, I think all six of them were only there for about 24 hours. Mm -hmm. And it was really nice to see how much they saw of the festival in that 24 hours. I heard that Lisa and Tracy went um, two-stepping at the Broken Spoke, and I kind of want to know how that went and that turned out. I love that. That's part two of this. Yep. We told them that they had nothing to fear. They would be asked to dance by every man over 60 on a round <laughs> robin. And I believe that that happened. But, yeah, I think that this panel to launch Season 8 programming is a really great transition and a really great standard to sort of talk about. I mean, it represents a lot of what ATX is. It represents a, a female partnership, which we know a little bit about. Yes, a little bit. And it was a mixture of executives, creatives, cast. It, you know, sort of represented a diverse conversation about a single topic. And so, and then to be able to do it with Vanity Fair, who helped us present our opening night with HBO that will be coming later but they were just such amazing partners and the two moderators Joanna Robertson and Sonia Soraya just really caught every ball we threw at them and we're like rock star moderators all weekend agreed great so with that please enjoy the power of female partnerships presented by Vanity Fair hello hi I'm Sonia Sarai. I'm the television critic for Vanity Fair. Thank you guys for coming. I would like to introduce our esteemed panelists. Okay, I'm going to make sure I have to go in order. All right, so I have Lauren Whitney. Where is she coming? Hey. <laughs> Corey Wellens. Thank you. Lisa Katz. Tracy Pacosta. Jenna Bands. And of course, Soretta. Hey, what's up, guys? How are you doing? Good. I'm glad to hear it. So when we're talking about the power of female partnerships, Jenna, you've created a show that is about the possibly destructive power of female partnerships, um, but really exciting and fun uh, partnerships, too. We're sorry. They, too. They, we all ordered drinks, and I was the only one at them. So they're being kind enough to the idea, lubricate the ladies. All yeah. <laughs> and so we had to share, too. This Cheers. panel's about to get crazy. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, totally lost track of what the, you're No, it's cool. The power of female partnerships brings us cocktails, among other things, which I think is great. I think that TV is a very collaborative medium, and I think that what, one of the things that it's important to understand is that people who might be competitive with each other in a corporate setting also have to collaborate and work together constantly in order to make something work well. And I think what's so great is that we have six professional, successful women from the industry who have gotten to where they are by working with other women. I wanted to talk to you about Good Girls because I know that people are obviously fans of Retta's performance in it and of the show in general. And I think that show digs into a lot of why people um, are attracted to and, and understand collaborating with women is such an important but also sensitive and fraught topic too. I was curious if you could tell us a little bit about how the idea of these three women working together came to you and then we'll get into a little bit about the background of stuff too. Yeah. Um, you know, the show is obviously about three women uh, working together, robbing together, doing <laughs> doing criminal activities together. So it may not be the most, uh, you know, positive example. <laughs> but uh, I always wanted to do something about uh, female friendships because they're so they can be so positive at the same time they're so complicated. 
Um, at least mine are. And, uh, you know, I always say the show is a love story between those three women uh, that no matter what they're going through and they go through some crazy shit on the show, they always have each other's backs. Uh, but that's not to say it's without conflict. We've explored a lot of conflict between them and their relationship. And... Um, yeah, I think it's sort of the backbone of the show. And, and you know, and I, I, I think I just wanted to do a show, uh, speaking to the origin of the idea, that sort of showed that women in their friendships could be complicated and messy and not perfect and get angry with each other, but never get divorced, if that makes sense. Um, you know, the, the marriage between the three women on the show, they will never split up no matter what happens, even when the darkest stuff goes down. So, um, so yeah, it's been fun. And working with these three ladies, including Retta, is such a dream because it's so collaborative. And, and, you know, we laugh and yell at each other and then laugh again. And it's great. I don't yell that much. <laughs> Retta never yells. Is it, is it, well, Lauren, this panel came together as your idea. Tell me a little bit about uh, the power of female partnerships, female collaboration in your life and how you, it has come to bear in your work. I have to say, I'm looking out at this crowd and it makes me so happy because there are so many women in this room um, who are so clearly interested in talking about this topic, which makes me so happy. So Corey and I started working at William Morris when we, uh, it was the week of my 22nd birthday. And all Thank we- Thank you for not pointing out how old I was. <laughs> it was also your 22nd birthday. <laughs> And, um, and we had this incredible friendship and partnership from the very beginning. And then there was this moment where we both wanted to be agents. And the feedback we got was, we are never going to promote two women on the same day and never promote two women who did not come up through the uh, mailroom. And neither one of us had done either one. You know, we hadn't come up through the mailroom. And we were two women who wanted to do it together. And we, we kind of did let it divide us for a minute. Um, and we were competing against each other. And I can say for myself, I was completely miserable. Our friendship was suffering. And that had been part of the big joy of coming to work every day. And, and I think she was unhappy also. You are my nemesis. <laughs> it was so brief. Wow. A and then we kind of went and had a drink and we said, this is miserable. I hate it. I was ready to say, you know what? I'll cede it to you. You go and you do it and I'm leaving because this makes me really unhappy. And by the end of it, we decided we don't have to take that mandate from them as gospel. We can also turn around and say, you don't get to choose. Um, you either take both of us or you take none of us. Um, and we were working for two people at the time who had who liked nothing more than a big battle. They really enjoyed that a lot. And so we enlisted their help and ended up getting promoted on the same day together. And we did our... <laughs> Solidarity. And, um, and then in the beginning of doing this job, am I... Yeah. At the beginning of doing this job, which is a, you know... A hard job, and candidly, you, you know, you're going out and taking meals with people, whatever, five, six, seven times a week that you've never met before. It can be incredibly lonely and odd, kind of. And we got to do it together. And there are people who might have looked at that and said, like, "Oh, you each have half a job. You know, you're you're together doing one job." That wasn't the deal. The deal was we were learning together, and also we were distinguishing ourselves because of all the agents who were calling all the showrunners endlessly all day long. Nobody else was calling together, mm -hmm. and so that helped us to be more memorable. Um, and we kind of leapt forward because we were together. And that's not to say that it was easy all the time. It's kind of like a marriage. We had to work out what the rules were going to be. And, and then we held to them. And our friendship became deeper and stronger. And our careers started off in a great place. And after I was here last year, which I enjoyed so much, I, I, I had a fabulous time when I was here last year. It was my first time. And as I went home, I was thinking about um, the subjects that we don't often talk about in a big public way. And one of them is that as positions of leadership are changing and more and more women are in positions of leadership, the, the example in front of young women is changing. Mm -hmm. And that means you don't have to be a cookie cutter of the same guy who's had the same job ahead of you forever. And we didn't have that. 
that. Mm -hmm. I don't think anybody here had that really. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's the part that I find so exciting is that for young women who are coming up now, they will see all kinds of examples ahead of them of women working together and not being pitted against each other and understanding that that makes them stronger. And it just feels important to me to be talking about as much as possible. And then, so we were gonna do it together. And then Tracy and Lisa are people who we've known since the beginning, like since we were babies and they've ascended to this place of having these spectacular jobs and being incredibly powerful and together, they're doing it together and they have more joy in it together. And so that's what we wanted to come and talk about. And then to be able to hang out with these two was a total joy. <laughs> so when you guys were being considered for promotion, how many men were being considered? Mm. Do you remember? Uh, at the time, I don't think any, because it was like they would promote one person a year. Okay. Um, and it was just always men. And I think they didn't know what to do with themselves, that there were two of us. But I remember getting together and saying, you know what, let's go in and say, we're going to do this together and not let them tear us apart. My memory of it was I was terrified because at the time yeah. I genuinely believed they might say, okay, then so. we choose neither of you and we'll just promote a guy. Mm -hmm. And I also felt like in that first year, they partnered us together in a way they had never partnered men in the history of the 100-year-old agency. And we shared an office and an assistant. And the rule was, you're not allowed to take a meal without each other, which I think for a lot of people in particular, men would have never worked. And because it was us, we actually, as you said, just grew to love each other and we'd get to lunches and I'd be like, let me tell you Lauren's life story and she'll tell you mine because I've heard it so many times now, I am her. Um, but we made it fun in a way that I personally feel women collaborate and compromise in a way that's mm -hmm. better than guys. Mm -hmm. So I, I mean, and I, I appreciate <laughs> that's good. I appreciate your openness about like, like we were nemeses because I think that, <laughs> sorry, I missed that. I said, I like that the men were applauding. <laughs> it's you are cool. better. I want a friend. <laughs> uh, do Lisa, Tracy, were you former nemeses as well? No. no. Okay. <laughs> that's, that's, that's fine. You're welcome here also. But why don't you tell us about, <laughs> why don't you tell us how you guys met and started working together? Um, well, we've known each other for 20 something years. Um, we worked together. Um, I was at a production company and Tracy was at the WB and we worked on the Steve Harvey show together way, way back and the one where he was a teacher. We are prodigies. And, um, and um, we always were friendly, but we didn't work together for a really, really long time. And then uh, she was at NBC Network running the comedy department, and I had the opportunity to come run the drama department, so we reconnected there. And we both have um, kids that we drop off at school, and we would drop our kids off and be the first ones in every morning. Mm -hmm. And so I would get my coffee and come sit in her office, and we'd you know, talk every morning. About any, everything, everything other than work. Yeah. <laughs> and um, then... A couple years in, when Jen Salky moved on to Amazon, she came in and said, I think that you guys should do this job. And we were like, oh. Okay. And um, I didn't blink at it. I mean, the opportunity to do that, but to do that with her seemed like such a gift. And so um, that was a year, a little over a year ago. But we've been very close and very, it's, I can't tell you how lucky we are that we have each other. Because to have somebody that you trust implicitly who will tell you, like, was that crazy? That was a little crazy. Or, <laughs> no, that's not crazy. It's just, it's it makes you feel so safe in your job and able to take risks and to do things that you might not otherwise do. And like Lauren and Corey said, I think that there is an authenticity that we have with both individually and with each other, that we can say things that otherwise I don't think people would say to us. And I think it extends to the people that we work with. And I think we look for people to work with that have those same experiences and, yeah, and qualities. And I think it just makes all of us 
better. Like I'm a better person and a better executive and better at so many things because of my partnership with Lisa. And I think my family, like when I was coming here to this event, my kids were like, you going with Lisa? Like it, it's, a, it's like work family is taken to another level and I'm grateful for it. Outside of your partnerships with each other, how do you uh, promote co collaboration and resist competition when you're working with other women? I think you have to talk yeah. about the femtors. Um, well, you had kind of touched on this. When we were assistants together, which most of us were, um, we would get together once a month and hang out for a dinner and talk about our bosses and our struggles. And then I noticed we got married and had children and we stopped doing that because the balance of being a working mom is its own challenge within itself. And I really missed it because most of the moms in my neighborhood were stay-at-home moms and I felt like they couldn't relate or understand all the things I was struggling with. Um, but I also understood I work so much during the week that my weekends are my kids' time. Like, I don't want to be with my friends or anyone else. I just want to gobble up every second I can with my kids. So I was talking with, um, I think it was you, about how much I just missed getting together with the girls and I felt like I was losing these friendships. And I decided to put together an annual glamping trip <laughs> where we would bring our children along. So it was kind of win-win. We could be with our kids, but we could also reconnect no with one another. Oh, absolutely no husbands. Um, <laughs> And a client of mine had told me about this uh, glamping place where if you got into a lower loop, it was a bunch of cabins surrounding a big grass patch where they couldn't escape. And I'm like, that could be perfect because we can all sit around and drink wine and catch up and there's nowhere for them to go. Um, and so, yes, that started what was then later named by one of the girls, the Lower Loop Ladies. And we're going in September for our 10th annual wow. trip. It's been a while. Um, how many did it start with and how many are we now? Do you know? I don't know. We've I, outgrown the loop. We're now yes. like the loop and then the trail beyond the loop. I think there were eight of us the first year. first year. And now it's a lot. Oh, it's probably 20, 30. It's great. But as Lisa was saying earlier, the best part about it is it then started an email chain that became kind of an advice column for the things you don't know yep. who else to ask. And like last year, I was having a terrible time with my son. He was being bullied in school. I wasn't getting help from the school. And I reached a crisis point where I was like, I need help. I got to get him out of the school. I don't know what to do. I'm so busy at work. And it was one of the girls in our lower loop ladies group who said, I know someone who's on the board of a school. I know it's hard to transfer your kid in the middle of the year. Let me do a phone call and help you and hook you up. And I was able to move my son. Mm -hmm. And it was all from my relationship with this group and us communicating and talking about the things that you'd be embarrassed to tell mm -hmm. other people. And also, like, I'm looking to move on from my job, or I'm negotiating a contract. What should I be asking for or looking mm -hmm. for? It's a safe space where people can be very candid and talk about things, whether it be professional or personal. I mean, there was a year where we told you you couldn't come back if you didn't leave your job. True story. <laughs> and I did. And, and I came me, back. And that made me so happy because now. <laughs> <laughs> Um, what advice do you have for people in this audience who might be trying to start, uh, try to collaborate with other women and reach out and find a way to advise and, and connect with each other? I think it's, it's hard. I mean, I have two daughters and, and I see dynamics between girls all the, I went to an all girls school. I'm one of two daughters. Um, and I think on a foundational level, we have to start looking at each other and the good things that happen for each other as not something that takes something away from you. Mm -hmm. If somebody close to you has something wonderful happening for them, there's some kind of, I don't know if it's biological or evolutionary or just how we're socialized, but somehow the default response seems to be like, oh shit, that's happening for somebody else and not for me. And if we can talk ourselves out of that mindset and really celebrate the things that are happening for each other, um, 
it just shifts the way that you look at other women and it shifts the way you look at yourself and your own future. And if you start from there, I think it's incredibly powerful. I would, I mean, for me, and I'm obviously a lover of organizing things, <laughs> um, but I would say really push yourself to organize it because I find the men that I work with, they golf every weekend together. It's so easy. They have so many outlets where they do something, but then they also just hang and share stories and business grows from that and they get advice from one another and girls don't have that. So for me, it was much more about being committed to finding something of like, once a month, we're going to do this thing. And don't take it personally if not everybody can come. Just set a date and say whoever can make it can make it. And don't take it personally, those who can. And you'll get different groups who can make each time. And I don't know, I just think the consistency and regularity of like, we're getting together, like, let's keep building on this is really helpful. And I think what Corey's done also is, because she doesn't have enough to do, in addition to the glamping, is she started this femtor group where a bunch of us are now mentors to younger exec female executives. And so she paired us up and she sent these emails. Again, I really don't know how you do it. She <laughs> sends an email and she says, make sure to reach out to your your." MT, is that what we call them? Yes. <laughs> but, um, it's a female mentor. Yeah. I thought it was really clever. <laughs> <laughs> but reach out to them. Like, go out for a drink. Invite them to your office for a coffee. You know, just call them for a half an hour. And, again, just making that effort and that connection and... Um, then inspiring other people to do the same. It's, it doesn't take up that much time, and I think it makes a really big impact. Something that I think is interesting as someone who watches the TV is that so much of the TV we're seeing is about female relationships. And of course, there's fraught elements to it. I, I really love the nemesis thing. I'm still thinking about it because I mean, because it is so, so, but it's true. To be clear, she is my best friend. In the world. But it's so often that closeness first manifests as something antagonistic, right? You're like, I know everything about you and I cannot stand you. Like, and I think that there's something. I never said that ever. <laughs> But I think that there's something really interesting about uh, you guys behind the scenes being able to boost shows or, or projects that uh, tackle some of these relationships. Have, mm -hmm. have you guys, I mean, I know that you guys have had that experience uh, working at NBC. Um, can you tell me a little bit about some of the examples you might have or just anything in particular that like you feel like maybe wouldn't have happened if it had been a man in your position? You mean in... <laughs> no, genuinely. Good Girls is a great answer. That would not have been picked up, I, I don't think. I mean, Bob was obviously there, but when we pitched it, we pitched it to you and Jen Salky and a room full of women. It was all women during the pitch. Um, and, you know, it's hard to say... So three women are going to rob a grocery store and love we each other like, and, and yes. have a guy be like, yeah, I want to see that. So it definitely, at least I would say it was probably a smoother ride and you guys instantly connected to it more than maybe, a, you know, someone else would have. Yeah, that was the Fall on My Sword project that year, which I didn't have to do, but was prepared to do. Every year there's one where you meet a little you know, resistance and Kara who runs drama here, who's somewhere in here also had brought Jenna and the project in. And from the jump, we were all in and we were prepared. I'm like, I am not leaving that room until it is picked up. But again, we didn't have to, because I think the show spoke for itself. And I still wish there were more female friendship shows on television, not necessarily at NBC, but I'm an agent. And as a seller, I often find if I pitch a logline or a project to a network, they'll say, oh, we already have one of those female friendship shows right. as if only one could exist. It's just like you. Um, only one of you could exist. Yes. So, there's only one kind of female friendship. Right. You know, just <laughs> one. I have friends that I love and I have friends that I hate. I would die for them, but I hate them. <laughs> about that show. Yeah. That is a show that should be on television. It's, it's happening here, guys. This is where it all originated. I feel like you must have good this nemesis. This is my official pit. <laughs> I feel like you must have good nemesis stories. Am I wrong? Me? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I do have a few of those um, that started with, oh, this bitch. Like, it was... <laughs> You know, 
It's it's someone who was in the periphery. You didn't know them. You only knew what other people thought. How many times have you been in a situation where someone's like, you don't want to have to deal with this person. You don't want to have to work with this person. They're brrrr, And then you're stuck in a room with this person and you're like, because, oh, you know, everybody has their own whatever with whoever. And I, I would have to say, like, for work, for me, it's so much easier when we, the, I get an email that says we're going to, we have a dinner with our execs because it's, yeah. These two women. Like, I was obsessed with Lisa before she got this job. Partially because she's a Duke alum, and I'm a Duke alum. Devils. But she was always, like, I think because of that, she was like, oh, my God. And so it's just like, a, like one thing we had in common, because you wouldn't think we had anything in common. <laughs> but we laughed the same stupid shit. We, you know, like... We're amused by the same things. And so when we met, I just had this like thing. It's like, this is a girl I get. And then to me, she was my friend. I may not have been her friend, but to me, she was my friend in my head. This is and the then, best day of my life. <laughs> and then I saw in Deadline, or actually I think you may have texted us saying, Salky's leaving, Cats is getting the job. And I was like, Cats is in. <laughs> Me a picture and of I, your face. And I said a picture. I was like, this is my response, and I saw it. Because now, like dinners with the execs, it's not going to work. It's going to dinner with the girls. Right. So it's like, it's just so much easier, and, and there's a lightness, and there's not a a stress to it. I mean, you know, as actors, you're always afraid to hear a knock on the door because usually on your, your trailer door, you be like, can we talk? You're like, fuck. <laughs> but now if there's a knock on my door and Jenna's there, I know it's she's just coming to chat. Yeah. <laughs> just coming to hang. So there's, I, there's, there's a comfort in working for women, being a woman working for women. Mm -hmm. It's a little bit, just, it is a little bit easier. And you don't have that. There are some men that, I, that I've worked for that I, like Robbie McNeil, I love him, I'm very comfortable with him. But in general, I've always had like a little bit of, be a good girl, you know what I mean? Um, and I don't feel like I need to be a good girl when you, you go to the white horse. I mean, it's interesting, you know, we uh, have this idea of the Bechdel test, which is like a really this reductive sort of idea, but it's just like, oh, has a woman in your story talked to another woman about something that isn't a man? And my f a lot of my favorite examples of passing the Bechdel test is work. And I think that uh, just the idea that there's room for only one, like the one female partnership or female friendships show um, is, is such a it. it, it such a reduction of how much women have to work together all the time. I mean, I think, uh, you know, you were talking about all your, your friends with their kids and their, their families, right? It makes me think a little bit of, you know, Big Little Lies, which is coming back and really emphasizes this. A lot of women, many women, are completely embedded in the world, their, their families, the, the social networks that they're in, and bring all of that to the table, which I think I see and hear from a lot of you guys. I think this also emphasizes how much Hollywood is a networking place, um, and like being able to connect with someone on this level is so important. I didn't have a question, but did that, did that, inspire, so did that inspire any thoughts from anyone? I was actually curious, Jenna, have you felt as a female writer, that you were for many years the one female writer on the staff. Like, did that ever you know, come up? I, I'm a terrible example because <laughs> I, I, by terrible, I mean the greatest example ever because I came from two distinct camps that were full of women. My first job was Desperate Housewives, which uh, was run by a guy who loved women. So we had tons of women in the writer's room. And then my second job was was the various shows on Shondaland. And I couldn't find a more woman-friendly place. But, you know, my a lot of peers I've worked with, a lot of women in my writer's rooms have said, you know, one, one writer came to... Um, scandal in Shondaland from, and I can't remember what show it was, it was a cop show, a very testosterone-fueled cop show, and she was the only woman in the, woman in the room. 
And she, and I still remember the funniest complaint. I was like, was it sexist? Was it, was it, would you pitch something and they wouldn't listen? And she was like, no, but they always wanted to get like fast food for lunch. Like they always wanted to get like Del Taco for lunch. And I was like, that's horrible. So, but, so it does exist. It does exist. And we have to deal with shitty lunch orders and, um, you know, but there's then there's also the examples like Shondaland and and I mean Good Girls is I think we have two guys in the room and nine women um, in the writers room. So you know it's changing a lot. It's changing a lot. I think. What are the challenges of collaborating with other women? I mean, I I don't think that I think that there are still plenty of people in the world, men and women, who just tend to be more competitive than collaborative in general, and some of them can take advantage of the just one, you know. Uh, mentality to instead of collaborating as you guys did to, to be at loggerheads with each other. And I think that more broadly, um, more broadly, I imagine that there are just a lot of difficult personalities that you have to deal with. What are there challenges to reaching out and helping each other? Are there any drawbacks to it? To drawbacks to female friendship or to, to, <laughs> to lifting each other up, if that makes sense. No, not that I have found. Um, I will say my biggest issue personally, and this has to do with Me Too and the movement and how far we've come, is that if you look at these corporations and in Hollywood, you know, there's four or five big companies that run everything. They're still all run by men. Mm -hmm. And I feel like until we get women in true positions of power where they're making the ultimate decision, we can only do so much in supporting each other, and then we run up against the same thing we've been running up against for 20-some years, which is a man making the ultimate decision. So I actually feel like more than ever, we need the support in our friendship to boost them to the level where they're their boss and they're making the final decision. And I think that's when we will start to see more than one show about female friendship on a network, I think it'll be easier to get those things through. Yeah, I think I didn't phrase the question right, so now I'm like trying to think about it again, but I sort of feel like, I guess it's a competitive industry. There isn't always actually space for everyone, right? I mean, that's gotta be really challenging. Like you're trying to lift up everyone, but you, you physically cannot. I mean, not ju just because it's a competitive industry and there are like these bottlenecks. There are men who run everything at the top. How do you, how do you deal with that when you are mentoring other people or when you're reaching out or, uh, I don't know, just trying to maintain your own sanity in a world where it just seems like everything is, is working against you sometimes? That makes sense. I think what you're referring to is, you know, th there is a meritocracy of ability and talent mm -hmm. and that applies whether you're talking about gender or not, mm -hmm. meaning, um, you know, people who are great at their jobs will continue to succeed. And as long as there are people who aren't blocking women or people of color or anybody else from moving forward, the most talented and hardest working people do continue to ascend. There is certainly no situation that I can think of where somebody, where a woman got a job and shouldn't have gotten it. Mm -hmm. um, is that what you're asking? No. I, no. <laughs> I'm trying to. I don't know. I, maybe I'm just not making sense. I think. I think that there's just this. Um, I think it's just sometimes harder than it looks to do. To, to like, it's easy to say like, let's raise each other up. But it's hard when it feels like there is. Oh, there is only one job opening, and you are in comp direct competition with someone for it. Mm -hmm. And like, what do you say to yourself in that those moments? Or like, how do you reconcile these things? Can we compete and lift each other up at the same time? It may be a hard question to answer right now just because there's been such an explosion in television over the last two or three years. There's more networks, more studios, more jobs, more opportunities. I feel like what you're talking about was a bigger issue when we were dealing with four networks. And no matter how much you said you wanted to support women, there were only so many jobs. Now it truly, to me, feels like there's an infinite amount of opportunity more than ever before. So you don't feel like there isn't room for both of you or all of you. Yeah. It's just actually putting forth the effort 
to take that next step to like not only have a lunch with you, but to make three phone calls telling people you're great and push so that you get that job. And that's where I think sometimes women fall short. Yeah, we talk about that a lot. It's like using your voice to m make yourself heard. Mm -hmm. I think before we would sort of lean back and now we're like lean forward. Mm -hmm. Like there is room for all of us if you really want it. So just so, so raise your hand and say, I want it, and then we can help you, or somebody that is in a position in a certain area will be there to support you. But make yourself you know, visible mm -hmm. instead of invisible. I also think there's nothing really wrong with a little competition between women. Mm -hmm. You know, getting get jobs as a writer, we had one spot for a staff writer this upcoming season. I knew I wanted it to be a woman. We interviewed and talked to probably five different women, all amazing in different ways. We went with one for a very specific reason. And I don't know, that makes me happy to see five smart, totally qualified, all qualified women vying for the same job. It wasn't like it was an anti-female thing. It was almost powerful to go, oh, all of these people are going to be fine. They're not all going to get a job with me, but they're going to be fine. They're going to work. So it sort of made me happy in a way, too. And I think in the last three years, there's been this focus on female directors because mm -hmm. that was kind of the last place where it still felt quite inequitable. And so, you know, in the last three years, it's been if you have an order of 12 episodes or 22 episodes, can half of them be female directors? And then all of a sudden what happened was you couldn't find a female director who was available to save your life. <laughs> like it became, you know, people were generating lists and tracking people because you wanted to hire every last one you could, which is you know, on the one hand, you're pulling your hair out. On the other hand, that's fantastic. Mm. That never would have happened five years ago, ever. Mm. But then that, like, also speaking to that, inspired us. We started a directing program mm -hmm. called Female Forward. And so we found, Tracy and I, two years ago, were like, it's embarrassing that we have no female mm. pilot directors. I mean, it was embarrassing. <laughs> mm. And so how do you change that? And there was a certain number that were the go-to people, but you need to find who are the next generation of people. So we started a program and Good Girls participated, as did all of our shows, where we hired directors who had done features or who had done commercial, who were experienced directors. They weren't, you know, just somebody we found who had a movie they shot on their phone, but somebody <laughs> who had some experience but couldn't break into television. And then they shadowed up to three episodes of a show and then we're guaranteed an opportunity to direct an episode in that season. And so, for example, you know, Jenna can talk about her experience mm -hmm. on that, but it's about seeing there's an issue and creating an opportunity right. and doing something actionable to make a difference. And I think you can do that with directors, you can do that with writers, you can do that with executives, you can do that with assistants. I mean, it's just about making that conscious choice. It's really not that hard. Yeah. And it <laughs> turns out that that was one of your favorite episodes. It was our favorite episode. Yeah. She's coming back for two yeah. this season. Um, she, it was someone who, looking at her resume, you, I can, would never have hired. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't have. It was like she had done a few small things that didn't seem applicable to good girls, and I would have passed her over in favor of, you know, probably a more experienced guy, because there's so many guy directors. But... Um, so I did, you know, I felt forced a little bit in the best way because it was important okay, to NBC. I'm okay with that. I, I, by the way, but it was the right thing to do. And then we get the episode back and I'm like, God, I'm a fucking asshole. It's so good. And she so deserved that opportunity. And um, so now I'm telling, by the way, every people are calling from other networks about this person. She's and I'm booked, like, she's, she's amazing. She, I think she's booked all season. And to go from someone with barely a directing resume to being booked in television for a woman is insane. Yeah. And I had a moment with her where she was, she, I think she gave me a line read. You know, line, line read is like she basically acted it out for me. And a lot of actors hate that. I don't mind it. But when it's, I don't, I, I don't mind it if I, if I just don't know what's, what exactly they want. Because By then the you way, you get a, told me to do it. You're like, just act yeah, it out for me. I can't. Yeah. So <laughs> if I, if I just don't get it, I don't mind it. Some actors hate it. And in this moment, I didn't like it. So she gave me a line read and I was like, <laughs> she walked away. She had, she turned back around. She came to me. She's like, I am so sorry. 
because she saw that a woman was like, bitch, the fuck? I've never had a man apologize for a line read. If anything, they'll keep doing it and doing it and doing it and doing it. And I'll be like, do you want to play the part? But she saw me go. In that moment, she's like, I am so sorry. She's like, I'm just so excited to be here. But you get what I'm saying. I was like, yeah, okay, I got it, I got it, I got it, I got it, I got it. And it just, it completely changed my, my, that episode for me and working with her and being able to say, okay, what now, what, what do you want, what do you want? And she's like, no, you're great, you're great, you're great, you're great. But I, but I felt comfortable knowing that she had that moment turned around and said, I'm so sorry, like, I don't know what the hell I was thinking. I'm just, you know. I'm geeked, I'm amped. And, the, and it made me understand, it didn't, it changed me from thinking like she's a controlling, crazy person that just wants this uh, to a person that was like, oh, I see you as a person and I understand, I get how you work in that moment, so. And so much of what, something else that uh, Mae Whitman on our show said about this particular person was that she wasn't afraid to say she didn't have the answer. So you'd be on set with her and she'd be blocking a scene and go, you know what, maybe this doesn't work. And so much of what we do in Hollywood is posturing and pretending we know what's, what's what, but none of us have any idea. And I've worked with so many male directors that you know they don't know what they're doing, but they're like, they would never, ever admit it. So it was just, you know, I, which is not to say that there's a male director out there who wouldn't admit that, but it's just refreshing. And it's, it's, it was like you, you lost for a second that, that veil of Hollywood that makes us all go, you know, we're perfect and amazing and, and we can just be people around each other. I think that goes back also to what to what you were saying about how much braver and stronger it makes you to have a partner in the workplace because you can then go behind a closed door and go, what the fuck was that? Like, I, I'm talking about this term. I don't actually know what this term means. <laughs> and the, the truth is, in the world, it's very uncomfortable to express vulnerability and say, I don't know. And then in the workplace, it's even worse. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, in a very competitive and more male driven workplace, it's even worse. Mm -hmm. And so to just be able to be super honest and vulnerable with somebody you really trust and to say like, I'm out of my element. I've now figured out that I don't know what this is. Um, that makes all of us so much stronger. And we have that in each other. And it's not something that everybody has man or woman, by the way. Yeah. That is, it's inspiring to hear, uh, the ways we can make it better for all of us. Mm -hmm. um, and with that, I wanted to see if there are any questions from the audience, because I think we have about 10 minutes left. Do you guys have a time, actually? 245? Yeah, perfect, yeah. If anyone has any questions, there's a microphone right there. Come up, come to us. They can't all be requests to join the glamping trip. Uh, once they include me on the glamping trip, it's over. Uh, that's it, it's capped forever, yeah. Please go for it. Actually, it's funny. I actually go on a camping trip with a group of girls, but it's not glamping. It's yeah. no cell phones, no power, no anything. So I think that's amazing. <laughs> um, you would not survive. Yeah. <laughs> we're Canadian. We're hardy. <laughs> I love it. Um, I wanted to ask you, you had talked about mentorship. You had talked about um, balance and paying it forward. Um, I was curious to know, there's so many women in this industry that have to make that balance between sacrificing their family and their work. And I'm wondering any advice that you have for women that are trying to decide that or any things that you're doing in your positions now to help that. Because I know a lot of people have left the industry because of that. They had to make that, that choice. And I never hear men making that choice. So curious to know your thoughts on that. Because men all have wives, so they don't have to. For me, the biggest thing is just let go of the notion that you have to do anything perfect anymore. Like everything my best is now 50% because I'm split in half, like the kids and the family and my job. And so things that used to make me absolutely crazy because I'm a perfectionist and I work so hard to get all of that, you just have to start letting it go and know that that's okay. That doesn't mean you should quit. That doesn't mean you should be fired. It's okay. They're probably out golfing. Like, <laughs> it's fine. But just letting go and feeling okay about not doing everything at 100%, which is just impossible. Um, it took me many, many years to get to that place. 
Somebody gave me very good advice um, when my, my daughters were just getting into school and I was feeling incredibly guilty about the fact that there were these moms who were there all the time and I was not there all the time and I did not know every child's name and I did not know every teaching assistant and I, I was feeling like I was, you know, falling down. And somebody said to me, only do the stuff that your kid sees. Meaning, you don't have to do the phone bake at night where you're calling other parents asking for them to donate money because your kid doesn't see that and it doesn't matter to your kid, honestly. And, 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 you know, there are so many women and men who make those schools who happen because they, they work there. And I'm deeply grateful to all the people who do it. I'm just not able to do that. And so when I reframed it that way and said, I'm going to do the things that I can do that allow me to be with my child when I'm doing it, as opposed to thinking I have to volunteer for everything. It took a, a load off and I thought it was, it was a, just a way of reframing it that was very helpful to me. And then the other thing is my mom always says, don't let the perfect be the enemy of the merely good. And I think a lot of us try to do everything perfectly. And as Corey said, it is not possible. It wasn't possible before you had kids and it's definitely not possible after. Um, and you know, the amazing thing is I have screwed up, I'm sure, a ton. Um, I have two lovely girls who, you know, despite my deep fear that each of them were gonna love their nannies more than me, um, <laughs> that didn't happen. Uh, and, and they know that I'm there and they know that they have me 100%, but they've also always had a working mom. So for them, it doesn't feel like they've lost something. That's just what their life has been. And they don't feel like something huge is missing. But also you have to be kind to yourself because there will be moments where it feels terrible and moments when you're in tears and moments when I personally <laughs> had a daughter who was in the Brownies, which is where I met Lisa Katz when we were in Brownies and she signed up to sell cookies and I didn't remember selling cookies and I didn't know that there was a time limit on it. So there's a time limit. You have two weeks to sell the cookies. I learned about that time limit on the last day <laughs> at work without my child with me to be able to make up for it. And all of a sudden I was like, I have ruined this entire experience for my child. She's gonna be scarred forever. Everybody's gonna go up there and get their little badge for how many cookies they sold and she's gonna have zero, like zero cookies sold. And I fixed it and it was fine and you know, there's things to do, but those moments- a lot of cookies. <laughs> <laughs> the, the entire floor of the Willie Morris Agency bought a lot of cookies. But, but like things happen and they feel terrible in the moment and then you move on and it's okay. Like at the end of it, your kids are gonna be okay because you love them. And other than that, they don't need more than that really. I was just gonna say getting old helps. I mean, I just, I would say like, I just don't care. Like you realize the things that are important and you prioritize those and the rest, you just, over time, the things that used to give me a lot of anxiety, I'm like, like speaking here today would have given me a lot of anxiety, but you're like, it's fine. So I think, and you just, a lot of coffee, a lot of wine, and very little sleep, and it totally works out. Dark chocolate is good, too. Also this. Yeah. We, talk, we talk about it all the time, and like everybody's saying, like, it, it's impossible to do everything. But I also think we have boys, and really boys watching their mother's work and having a respect for that and knowing that we're really happy working. Like, it's okay to do what we do and really take pride in it, but knowing that if they need us, we'll be there, I think is a great statement. We have the next question. Hello. Um, I go to the, to the University of Texas and we have a student-run TV station and I produce a show there, and most of the time I am the only female in our writer's room, like the only one, and that's hard. And even though like, I'm the EP, I sometimes like, struggle to command their attention and have my ideas heard. And so as someone who's like, learning and trying to come up, what can you like, offer me as like, advice as far as that? I mean, huh, just, well, definitely control the food orders. <laughs> you should be in charge. Um, you know, just don't, don't, and it sounds like you're doing it, but don't take a back seat, yeah. you know, still be as loud as everybody else. And I'm also like not one that shies away from, and, and not even in a man, woman thing, calling people on stuff. Like I just said that and you weren't listening to me. Like yeah. I'm very overt about that. 
Um, so I guess read your room and see if they're people are cool with that. But yeah, I would just say, just don't, don't lose your voice, you know? And, and it sounds like you're in charge, right? Yeah. So they work for you. They do. They work for you. Yeah. Um, which is pretty amazing. Yeah. Thanks. And also maybe talk to some girls on campus who are yeah. creative and smart and see if they want to join you. I mean, it's, you know, since you're in charge, I make it a point to, you know, always hire women writers or at least to have a, like a good mix in the room because it makes a better show at the end of the day to have a wide variety of voices. Yeah, for sure. Thank you guys. Thank you guys so much for doing this and for being here. Um, this is kind of a tricky one. Sorry in advance, but uh, talking about the meritocracy of like, if you work your ass off and you're good, you will keep rising unless someone blocks you uh, and the freedom of like vulnerability being something that helps distinguish young up and coming um, folks and in women in our industry. What's y'all's take on for the Me Too movement folks before it was cool <laughs> who have been blocked and blacklisted and had to move to different cities and stuff like that? What's like what's the next step of that Me Too conversation of not just getting abusive folks out of the industry, but of helping to provide opportunities for women for whom and others for whom those opportunities were cut off? Really interesting question. Oh. Well, gee whiz. <laughs> Sorry, I did try and warn you. No, but I can't think of any other panel here or at any other festival where I could ask that question. Yeah, yeah. So thank you. It's an excellent question. I'm so sorry that whatever happened, happened, because it sounds like it was something really hard. And I think the, the changes that are happening are, are real and concrete, and we've all seen them, and we've seen those things change, but it doesn't mean that it's instantaneous, and it doesn't mean that it goes back and fix what happened to you. And so, and I, I feel it from you. I feel how hard it was. I don't, I don't know... I don't know what to say to you about how to fix it, aside from saying um, it sounds like you, you went someplace else to start anew um, and that you were strong enough given to say, to call out whatever had happened before. And so my hope is that you actually don't have to change anything because you shouldn't have to. I guess my question, like specifically, it's like I've got gaps in my resume uh -huh. that if I get asked about. Mm -hmm. What do you do? Like, what if if someone came to your office and was asking? Okay, so I'm an actor. Mm -hmm. My reel is has like a weird big gap in it mm -hmm. for a specific reason, but um, but that's made it harder for me to compete because the times that I was that I didn't realize for a while that I was uh, struggling for a larger reason were you know ages 21 to 24. As a, mm -hmm. You know, uh, anyway, so like. How do you kind of like find your footing back in the door without having to awkwardly bring up Me Too in a place where it doesn't belong? Or like, ha you know it, what I mean? It, like, it doesn't, doesn't belong. Yeah. Like yeah. to me, now we're in a place to be like, oh, I got harassed by such and such or I, in a mm -hmm. situation. And so it's been hard for me to come back. But here I am bitching. Yeah. Like I feel like <laughs> now is the time you can say yeah. it. Yeah. Well, to jump but I don't think in a room it should be hard because everybody in that room has fucking seen that hashtag. Yeah. They're familiar. Mm -hmm. And if somebody brings it up, you better sit there and ex ex accept mm -hmm. it and then move on from there. Like it can't, it, it's not your problem. Are you guys in, are you, do you guys uh, feel like you are in meetings where people could say something like that to you or that you have heard it yourself and have you had a way of handling it? I would absolutely, I mean, I'm a writer, so people meeting with me are for writer jobs, but we, I'm in auditions all the time with actors. I would respect it. I would, um, if someone said that to me, I would uh, applaud it and move past it really quickly I, I it would not be an issue for me at all mm -hmm. end of story i feel like i'm sorry you know if if, if someone says what happened in these three years you i wouldn't be embarrassed to say my mother was sick and i was taking care of her exactly mm -hmm. and they would accept that so i feel like you should be able to say oh i had an incident on a job 
and I felt like I was blacklisted and it really blocked me. And I finally come into myself. Because if you can give yourself a position of pride and saying, I'm ready to do this, yeah. I think it will open their eyes as to who you are. I mean, you still gotta kill the audition, yeah. but, <laughs> but I feel like that gives you, it, it will give you a leg up in the room in that moment yeah. because it gives them some insight as to who you are personally. You and, it, and it comes from a place of strength, which yeah. is always someone you want on your show, in your room, around you. Thanks. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Hi. Whoa. Wait. I messed it all up. I'm not that. Hi. <laughs> um, first of all, thank you all so much for being here. This is more of a comment than a question, but um, I raced from my panel to get here. I've been in the back. I've heard almost everything. And you're each individually incredible women. And I am in this industry. And I am proud to be working with some of you and also just be here at this festival, absorbing the information and um, that everyone else here in the room is. And as I was in the back looking around, I noticed that there was also a majority of men in this room. And I thought it was a really important moment to say, first of all, thank you to each of you powerfully strong, beautiful, vulnerable, funny women. And to also say like, this is a beautiful time of change because to see all females up here and to see not just females in the audience, but men as well supporting us and you and listening and taking it in to me, I had a moment and I felt it was so important to share because that's everything right now. So thank you for being here and thank you to the men who are in this room listening and supporting all of us. And thank you, ATX Festival. Thanks, Ariel. The TV Campfire is produced by Caitlin McFarland, Emily Gibson, and AJ Myers, along with our audio partners, Five Ohm Productions. Mark your calendars. ATX TV Festival Season 9 is happening June 4th through 7th, 2020 in Austin, Texas. For more information, visit atxfestival.com and follow us on social media at ATX Festival. And be sure to check out our episode notes for a very special discount on badges exclusive to the TV Campfire podcast listeners. As always, please rate, subscribe, and share this podcast. And stay tuned for even more exclusive releases each week.